Doctor Who, The Doctor Trap, by Simon Messingham. Read by Russell Tovey. Sebastien had long resigned himself to the fact that, in all modesty, he was the most insanely beautiful man in the universe. He glanced in the mirror once more, to make sure. Damn me if I don't look fine today, he announced to his personal butler robot. The butler was a big chap. At three metres tall, he was a really big chap. Sebastien designed all his high-ranking servants big. An ironic metaphor about life and power or something, he was certain. Sebastien examined today's uniform. Scarlet tunic, tight cherry-picker trousers, long gleaming boots, gold inlaid sword belt. The best yet, he said. Oh, my compliments to the tailor. Thank you, sir, came the reply. A molecular air screen shimmered. A picture formed in the air. His supervisor robot, speaking from the control room deep in the chateau's heart. The supervisor bowed. This robot was another biggie, but rather more soberly dressed. Sebastien liked to see his command staff in functional Napoleonic blue with chunky buttons and tricorn hats. Gave the place an efficient military feel. Speak, supervisor, said Sebastien. My master, the starships are dropping from orbit and requesting permission to land. Accept Commissar Weimark who is demanding permission. Open the force fields, said Sebastien. Let the hunters descend. There was a whoosh of inrushing molecules, and the air screen closed. Sebastien's palace stretched from horizon to horizon, far too overwhelming for the human mind to take in. Like Sebastien himself, the chateau was big, beautiful, and absolutely crazy. The twelve shuttles touched down, their occupants ferried by ornate horse-drawn carriages into Sebastien's courtyard, then straight into the conference room. Awe-inspiring was the idea. Sebastien was big on awe. To construct the exact conference table he wanted, Sebastien had grown, and then destroyed, a rainforest of mahogany. The grain of the wood had to be perfect, a demand which on average used up 40 tree trunks per centimetre of table, the process resulted in tremendous environmental waste. No matter. The effect was magnificent. The table gleamed in the sunlight. The hunters sat, all twelve feeling clumsy and uncomfortable, already in a foul mood, which Sebastien drank in as he entered. My friends, he yelled, waving his silk handkerchief. Welcome to Planet One. He studied their faces. The awe was satisfactory. The endangered, dangerous species society, he said, all gathered together on my little planet. Esteemed members, I am honoured. The hunters sniffed, waiting for the catch. The Society for Endangered, Dangerous Species does what it says on the tin, except you're the ones who make them endangered. I believe... The Endangered Dangerous Species Society is responsible for the elimination of over 300 rare breeds 
as well as being on the wanted list of every security force in the civilized galaxy. <laughs> Sebastian laughed. I'm so excited, aren't you? At last, one of the hunters stood up. He had a grey, bloodless face with hooded purple eyes. Sebastian, he said. Commissar Weimark. Sebastian looked at the grey face. The cleanser of Beriograd. I will have no part in this childish game. Oh, it's a game, Commissar, said Sebastian. But there's nothing childish about it. Don't make that mistake. He stared, unblinking at Weimark. Now sit down. Weimark sat. A single bead of perspiration ran down his slack face. Enough! bellowed Brutus, the augmented simian. He thumped the table with impressive force, splintering the perfect wood. What is left for us to hunt? We have taken them all! <laughs> he laughed and plonked back into his seat. Sebastien put his spurred feet on the jeweled table. I have a trophy for you. You won't get better than him. I think you'll find it worth your while. He waved a hand and a molecular screen flashed up a 3D portrait of a smiling, intense young humanoid male. A huntress, hooded in her Carpalian veils, raised a finger and pointed. I know that face. Who? He, my friends, is my trophy. The most dangerous life form in the universe. The last Time Lord. You know him, in one form or another, as the Doctor. Sebastien looked around the table at the endangered, dangerous species society. I think we're in for one hell of a safari. The Doctor's impish face looked down from the air screen. He smirked, as if taunting the hunters. Oh, come on, said Sebastien. Surely somebody wants a pop. Sebastien realised they were afraid. He walked around the perfect table. Should you succeed, you will succeed where hundreds, thousands of others have failed. The endangered, dangerous species society will live in eternity. And if we fail, rasped a metallic voice, the semblance of Draxix, speaking from his armoured carapace. If you fail, then I get to hunt you, Sebastian replied. Come on, surely someone can bag him. Fair game. He blinked, and the air screen changed picture to a digital map. Areas divided by fizzing blue lines. Hunting zones. One for each of you, tailored to your individual chosen environments. The doctor will land at random in one of your zones. From then, it's up to you. Should a hunter miss and survive... Planet One would transmat the Doctor to another random zone and we start again. If the Doctor is killed, I will return the remaining hunters to your home planets with considerable compensation for your time and effort, of course. Brutus let out a bellow of such raw rage that the whole room was silenced. Even Sebastien was surprised. The simian held his chair away and beat his chest. Enough! I will have no part of this madness! The Doctor cannot be vanquished by mortal hand. This is written in our holiest book. I leave now. He pointed a giant fist at Sebastian. Do not try to stop me, powdered fop. Wouldn't dream of it, said Sebastian. Brutus stomped to the back of the conference room. 
Gilt-framed double doors opened as he approached. The simian sneered at his fellow hunters. The doctor! He will kill you all! Sebastian pointed. Bright light flashed from his hand and with a loud pop incinerated Brutus. The soft sunlight caught the ashes drifting to the floor. Impressive, said the Carpalian witch. But you did say you wouldn't dream of stopping him. Sebastien looked coolly at his hand. Whoops! <laughs> Anyone else bursting to go? Snowcap base didn't seem much to Donna. Just some chimneys sticking out of the snowy ground, although the doctor insisted it would look a lot better underground. Men were screaming. Donna could hear the sound as she emerged from the snowcat. The doctor and the team shuffled along the gangway's wooden boards as the wind whipped snow around them. Security squad to laboratory area immediately, a frightened electronic voice wafted up. Immediately, the specimen has broken loose. Repeat, it's loose. And then Donna heard a roar, a sound so awful and alien she didn't need the Antarctic to freeze her blood. The doctor looked at Donna. She saw the excitement in his eyes. No, she snapped. Don't. I've got to. You can't let an expedition full of people this dumb try and sort things out on their own. At last, a shifty human raised his hand. His buck teeth protruded beneath a sweaty moustache. You may speak, Lord Percy, said Sebastian. And in case you think I might be fooled by your oh-so-English dithering, I might remind everyone that you are the man responsible for bagging the last of the stellar raptors. Lord Percy spluttered. How are we supposed to find the Doctor? I mean, how are we supposed to track down a bounder who can travel anywhere in time and space? I have already found him for you. Sebastien clicked his fingers. A noise rang round the conference room. A noise like a barrel organ with emphysema. For those hunters who knew, terror crawled up their faces. An object faded into the room. A battered blue box with a light on its roof. Before the hunters could react, a door in the box opened and a man leapt out. Ta-da! The doctor winked. All right? Donna ran with the rest of the survivors. She caught the occasional glimpse of the creature they had released, a tentacled nightmare that wrapped men up and stung the life out of them before sucking them into itself. Bullets made no mark, just glopped into its green, fleshy skin. Of the Doctor, she could find nothing. If he was supposed to be sorting the situation, he wasn't doing a very good job. The lights were destroyed. So was the heating. In the ruins of an old control room, with the last of the survivors sealing up the doors for a hopeless last stand, Donna felt the temperature drop with a purpose. Her breath steamed out. The monster had destroyed the emergency generator. Now, if it didn't kill them, the Antarctic weather would. The creature slammed against the barricade. White-faced men held fast. The metal door bulged like soap. Down here! She saw him. He was lying under a metal grill and an air duct in the torn floor. Doctor! The doctor grinned. That's me. Of course, he had a plan. He always did. She yanked the grill open. Behind her, the door crunched open an inch. 
A squelchy tentacle squeezed into the gap. The screaming and firing began again. Let's get out of here, said the doctor. Everything in her world went dark. The Society for Endangered Dangerous Species lost its head. As one, the members panicked. Some were already fleeing for the exit. Sebastian smiled. Settle down, he said. I'll tell you all about it. He's not the doctor. His name is Boris, and he's the doctor's number one fan. The doctor nodded in confirmation. My name is Barris, and I am the doctor's number one fan. The society members returned to the table and reached for the refreshments. Fright made them thirsty. I found this one in Proxima, said Sebastian. Boris has spent his life devoted to the doctor. Even among the doctor's enthusiasts, Boris is numero uno. The doctor, or at least the man who looked like the doctor, nodded. Sebastian smiled indulgently. Lots of civilizations can create doubles. Any old Tom, Dick, or Harry seems to be able to knock out a doctor replica. I fancy Planet One's surgical techniques go a little bit further. I can duplicate any life form exactly, including DNA. Finding someone to put up with the pain is the hard bit. Barris thumped the right side of his chest. It wasn't fun having that second heart fitted. Sebastian shrugged. Well, it wasn't fun for you. <laughs> oh, and there's something else. The doctor's airscreen portraits were replaced by a new image. A dark room, very plain. Inside the room, a red-haired woman lay asleep on a bed. Tell them, Barris. Barris couldn't help but look smug. I kidnapped his travelling companion. Say hello to Donna Noble. The doctor looked up from the sonic field generator he was constructing. Snowcap's heating had failed twenty minutes earlier, and the air had turned from furnace to freezing cold. Although there was roaring. The thawed alien didn't seem to be coming his way just yet. He flashed his sonic screwdriver at some components and was pleased to hear a low hum kick in. Now we're cooking with gas, he whispered. Ice shifted behind him. Donna. Somewhere in the distance, another man screamed and died. There's something not right here, he said aloud. It's all way too B movie. He waited for Donna to respond, but remembered they had been separated. A man stepped out of thin air, a very familiar man. The doctor stood up. Now that shouldn't happen, he said. What are you doing here? I mean, what am I doing there? The familiar man smiled and raised a very nasty-looking bleepy stick. He pointed the stick straight at the doctor. Sebastian and Barris watched the hunters transmatter their zones. The control room in which they stood did not look like a control room. For a start, there weren't any controls. There weren't any consoles or computer banks or monitors either. Instead, huge gold busts of Sebastian looked down from gigantic plinths onto a spacious marble checkerboard floor. The floor was full of robots. These robots seemed more to be dancing than working. One would wiggle a perfectly manicured hand in a certain gesture, and an air screen popped into existence right in front of its nose.
More hand-waving as the robot completed its task and then the ice cream popped into nothingness again. I'm still impressed, said Barris. No skulldocks, no memory banks, no machinery, no solid state matter at all. Just wave and up comes a menu. Of course, muttered the supervisor robot as it stomped by. Intelligent molecular technology is the most advanced technology in the universe. The giant creature towered over the quaking Barris. Sebastian waved a hand and a bed-sized throne shimmered into existence. I find I am pleased, he announced. The doctor is on his way. His girl is safe and secure, and we have the TARDIS. Thanks. Barris smiled, a very pleased with himself smile. Now I'm wondering... What's the point of you? The smile leaked from Barris's face. I, I... I didn't mean... Please. Sebastian squeezed the imposter's shoulder. A joke! <laughs> I need you, Barris, to monitor the doctor. Yes, Lord. Night and day. Don't take your eyes off him. We have detected the doctor, said one of the robots. He has arrived in the Arubian zone. Sebastian studied the quiet, dreary jungle. Ding, ding, he said. Round one. Lord Percy plucked the fat cigar from his mouth and raised his glass. The doctor had appeared in his zone first. The hunt was going to be over very quickly. Likely to spoil the game for everyone else. <laughs> he chuckled. What a shame. The sun was high in the sky and the zone was boiling hot. A chap had to admire Sebastian's handiwork. Planet One's terraformers had nailed the Arubian landscape, including the flies, and that awful stink of lemons. Just like home. Jolly clever. Loud bangs boomed in the humid air. Lord Percy stood up in his howder. Up country, smoke rose in spirals. That was the signal. His chaps had cornered his prey. Oh, about time too. Vera, he bellowed, forget the champagne, we've got the blighter. The doctor was sure he had found inventive ways to escape from more perilous situations than this, but for the life of him he couldn't remember any. He was running along a jungle river pursued by large stocky aliens with big horns sprouting from their faces where noses ought to have been. He was being hunted. He forced himself to concentrate. He was the doctor. Donna was in trouble and he had to find her. A man was waiting for him in the clearing. The man was dressed in jungle fatigues and had a cigar clenched in his gap-toothed, grinning mouth. I say, hello, said the man and raised a large gun. Hold still now. Lord Percy squinted down the barrel. The doctor fell to his knees, blinking in fear. Lord Percy smiled. Don't you worry, old chap. This won't hurt a bit. Oh, actually, it probably will, but not for long. There was a shimmer of light. Wind rustled through the jungle leaves and the doctor faded from view. Lord Percy blinked. In the sunlit clearing, right in front of his eyes, there was a big hole full of nothing where the doctor had once knelt. Ow, oh, corks, said Lord Percy, as he felt the warmth of a transmat beam envelop him. His jungle faded away. Around the control room, robots were shaking their gorgeous sculpted heads in disbelief. 
He disappeared! Barris shrieked. He waved his hands and the air screen in front of him popped into nothingness, just as the doctor had done. Barris looked guiltily at Sebastien, as if he had touched something he shouldn't. Transmat, Sebastian whispered. He used the transmat. Impossible, my master, said the supervisor robot. There is no access. He couldn't transmat. Shut up. I don't want he couldn't transmat. He transmatted, you moron. Use your eyes. Sebastian scratched his perfect chin. So, Boris, how did he do it? A method we didn't anticipate. Really? And here was me thinking you were an idiot. Barris quivered. An accomplice, then? What do you mean? Perhaps he had help. One of the other hunters? Sebastian was going to say something rude, then changed his mind. Impossible. How would they know where he was? There's no one in orbit. Is there? The supervisor shook his head. Maybe someone here isn't who they say they are, said Barris. Someone in the chateau. You do have an awful lot of servants. Sebastian beckoned his supervisor forward. The supervisor obeyed. Bow down, Sebastian ordered. Again, the supervisor obeyed and Sebastian punched the robot's head out of its neck socket. The oversized servant staggered, then uttered. Thank you, my master, before wiggling its head back on straight and picking up its tricorn hat. Planet One has only one master, said Sebastian. Can only have one master. All my robots have absolute loyalty burned into their little brains. To me. Try attacking me if you don't believe me. If they have a fault, it's that the little darlings can be overprotective to the point of idiocy. There is absolutely no way that a Planet One robot can go against that fundamental programming. He looked Barris in the eye. So find out what really happened. Immediately, said Barris. There is one other thing. Pray enlighten me. If the doctor could transmat once, couldn't he just do it again? A very nasty thought was growing in Sebastian's mind. A thought so improbable, so monstrous, he could barely contemplate his existence. <gasps> He's breached the IMT security protocols. He can access Planet One technology. Barris nodded. Sebastian thought. He thought some more. He turned to his supervisor. Shut down the IMT, he said. The vast control room went quiet. Robots stopped to look. My master, said the supervisor. Barris is wrong. What he suggests is impossible. You heard me. The transmat was operated. We do all agree on that, do we not? How vulgar if he was able to use the same trick twice. All molecular transmissions are to be spiked. Forget digital, we'll go analogue. If a robot could look sick, the supervisor was that robot. My programming requires me to ask my master. I must have confirmation you are sure you want to neutralise all intelligent molecular technology. Are you absolutely 100% sure? Sebastian lay back in his throne. Planet One can easily handle the changeover. Do it. The supervisor nodded to the operator robots. They opened air screens and began work. The changeover will take time, my master. 
Planet One will have to drop to maintenance mode for. He clicked his neck as his brain sifted through the calculations. Two hours and forty-seven minutes. There will be minimal robot activity during that time. Oh, I can live with that," said Sebastian. "Do you good to do some real work for a change. Activate the underground monorail network and mobilize robot maintenance crews. You never know; it might even be fun. Boris, theories. I should have guessed something was up. The doctor got trapped so easily. It didn't seem like him. You think this two-hour changeover is a good idea? It sounds like the chateau will be vulnerable at that time. What if the doctor transmitted here? He couldn't. Yes, but what if he did? The doctor didn't transmit here. Even he couldn't bypass those security force field protocols. Barris gathered his courage. Yes, but what if he did? Planet One would have detected him. Wouldn't do for anyone to start sabotaging my planet. No, my guess is he or someone just pressed shuffle and automatically fast-forwarded him to the next hunting zone. That would be the most efficient, easiest way to escape. He's probably gone to look for his companion," said Barris. "He tends to do that. The companion is safe. Only I am to know where." Sebastian realized he looked shaken. He glanced up at one of his statues to remind himself of the correct expression, the expression that gave nothing away. "Leave Donna Noble to me," he said. "Otherwise, you have priority in the chateau." The robots won't like that. They don't like me. They don't like anyone, Baris. I programmed them that way. Live with it," he sniffed. "Oh, I'm going to bed. Assam tea and caviar in the morning," he ordered. "Oh, and wake me up when Lord Percy is prepared. I want a little word with him." Sebastian waved a hand and transmitted away. The butler showed Baris to his bedchamber. The doctor's double was not unduly surprised to see that the room was a monument to poor taste. Nice, he said. It's perfect, said the butler. The robot was genuinely pleased with the room. You know, I love the way Sebastian calls you robots, said Barris. Not servitors or droids or anything, just robots. Some artificial persons would consider that an insult, but it's good to see you rivet heads are totally cool with the word. Huge hands enveloped Barris's neck and lifted him into the air. Two oversized eyes blazed at him. There's something about you, Barris. Something wrong. I know. You're out of your mind. No, I'm not," said the butler. "I don't like you wandering round the chateau, doing whatever you please." Until the doctor is caught and we're back to normal, I'll be watching you, all the time. And when you make your move, which you will, I'll be there. What move? There is no move. The butler threw Barris onto the bed. And when the time comes, I'm going to squeeze your head until your eyes pop out. Good night, sweet dreams. The butler flounced away. Barris glared after him. Rubbing his sore neck, after a few minutes he lay back on the impossibly comfortable sheets and closed his eyes. Yeah, he said. I'll get you, Butler.
Next morning, Barris was back in the control room, annoying the servants. He was watching the operator robot overseeing the IMT changeover. The supervisor paced the control room behind him, footsteps ringing on the marble floor, trembling with helpless rage at Barris's interference. Why don't you go and do something useful? It sneered. Like throw yourself off the ramparts? It loomed over Barris's shoulder. Barris sagged. What is it with you lot? I'm just doing what Sebastien ordered me to. If you're not going to stop me, then get lost. 60% cloud saturation, said the operator robot, interrupting the argument. And what does that mean? asked Barris. Satellites are clouds seeding the atmosphere with negative iron particles. Don't tell him, snapped the supervisor. Mr. Supervisor, said Barris, why don't you go and do something less boring instead? I'll call you if I need you. He returned to the operator robot. What's the score? I mean, the seed status. Conscious that the supervisor was on the verge of tremendous violence, the operator robot spoke in a small voice. Energy transference is no longer reliable. Transmat effectiveness is already down to 30%. By morning, it'll be less than five. We're six hours away from changeover. From now on, no one's going anywhere, said the supervisor, including you. I'm only interested in the doctor. You, you must have picked him up by now. Where is he? Tell me. Or I tell Sebastian you. The supervisor pointed a perfectly manicured finger at the air screen. There. The flux, Savannah. The water who? The supervisor blinked, consulting its memory bank. The Arcturan, semblance of Drax 6. Barris clapped the supervisor on its large, muscular back. Thank you, chaps. Splendid effort. Is that it? asked the supervisor. What are you going to do now? Barris was already halfway out of the door. He turned back and pinched the supervisor's nose. Keep that out, he smiled. I'll report this outrage, snapped the supervisor. Barris! But Barris had already gone. Planet One changed over. Across the globe, the robots bustled, millions of them, gathering in legions across the surface of Planet One. They swarmed above, on and below ground. Planet One had never been so busy, well, not for the 69 years since Sebastian had last bothered to test these support functions. The robots worked tirelessly in the wind and the rain. Like armies of ants, they unblocked concealed entrances and raised gigantic communication masts across rain-lashed muddy plains. Beneath the oceans, robots activated oceanic thermal power units to drive unthinkably powerful fusion motors. They worked without pause, and if one robot malfunctioned due to systems failure, accident or plain old wear and tear, another two leapt into the breach to take its place. The work gangs were on a deadline. The clock was ticking. The clock ticked and ran down. Lights winked out into darkness across the planet, from the poles to the equator. The robots stopped where they stood. The great roaring whirl of labour ceased. Planet One rebooted. Only the hermetic bubbles of the hunting zones were spared. The hunters were oblivious to the planet's business. 
They did not notice the switchover from molecular to physical in the command patterns of the robots designed to look like natives of their respective planets. These were kept functioning. Oblivious. The hunters just got on with their lives and waited. The doctor wiggled his hand to activate an air screen. Nothing. Just a dark of his overheated, over-designed bedroom. Finally, he said. He tiptoed to the door, opened it and poked his head out. Now then, now then, boys and girls, the doctor said aloud. His words echoed round the hall. Robots stood frozen in mid-step. Their eyes flickered with dim internal lights. Mustn't get too confident, the doctor thought. Sebastien wouldn't be stupid enough to turn them all off. Some will still be operational. The doctor looked at one of the huge marble busts of Sebastien stuck up everywhere all over the chateau. The pouting bronze face regarded him. The doctor bared his teeth and smiled. Barris had made a fatal mistake. In fact, in the corridor at Snowcap Base, he had made THE fatal mistake. Barris had chosen to gloat. And if you did the gloating thing with a doctor, you were going to come last, bleepy stick or no bleepy stick. Which is why Barris was there, and he was here. He skidded into the control room. The stalled robots were staring as if transfixed by what they saw. The room had filled around them. The floor had raised up solid skull dock terminals, uploading data. The doctor inspected the new machines. Virtual reality interfaces, subatomic memory. He picked up a neoprene glove with glowing cables running from the fingers. Next, he picked up a neoprene cap and a pair of goggles. You are joking. What's this? The lawnmower man? He stared into the barely lit eyes of an operator robot. He had started to call the robot servants Freddies on account of their ridiculous moustaches. I've landed in 1985. No more intelligent molecular what's it then, Seb old mate. Sorry to mess up your planet. Surely somebody was suspicious. The doctor couldn't believe he had been lucky enough to fool them all. Plucking Barris from Lord Percy's gun sights had been almost suicidal. They'd even seen him do it. They just didn't know they had. Thankfully, Sebastien hadn't bothered to protect the transmat programme. It had been pre-programmed for a random shuffle. The doctor just pressed the button earlier than planned. The hard part had been making it look like someone else had pressed it. Even now he wasn't absolutely certain the command could not be traced back to him. More important was getting Sebastien to turn off the IMT. Not easy. However, the ruler of Planet One was as suspicious as the doctor hoped. Sebastien would rather lose the technology than share it. So now the Doctor had some room. He could work without getting blown to atoms by a pointy finger. He looked at his bare wrist. You have one hour and 42 Earth minutes. He sat down at one of the consoles. Luckily he wasn't after anything tricky and the basic systems were up and running. He picked up a thin cable. Skull Doc, no thanks. Never liked the idea of sticking needles into my head. Hat and gloves it is. Pulling the goggles on, he powered up the computer terminal. Big, shiny icons floated in front of his eyes. Ah, how sweet, he cooed. But never mind, Retro. How do I get Barris out of the next zone? 
especially as, more than likely, this time I'm going to be watched. He worked the computer quickly, suppressing a giggle. <sighs> Get out of that, Sebastian. Barris was in the control room accessing a Planet One computer interface terminal. He wasn't even using the Skulldog. It was like he wanted to be caught. The supervisor was delighted. The robot was watching on a hidden monitor. It had kept itself out of the way for just such an opportunity. It watched for five joyous minutes, then ran to tell its master the good news. The doctor had just made it back to bed when Planet One completed its reboot. There was a distinctive hum and the candles by his four-poster flickered. He closed his eyes for the cameras and pretended to sleep. The door crashed open. Oi, said the butler. Outside now. If I didn't know better, said Sebastian, I would have said you were the real doctor and poor Obaris was out there being hunted. Really? said the doctor. Why would you say that? They were taking tea in a huge formal garden. Sebastian poured milk and tea into the gilt-lined porcelain cups. Of course, there's no getting around it, he said absently. If one applies logic... You have to be the real doctor. The doctor froze. Someone had to operate the transmat. Sebastian offered the doctor the cup. It wasn't me, and you are the only other organic life form in the chateau. Sugar? <clears throat> no, thank you, the doctor croaked. Sebastian leaned back in his chair. The only real test would be if I shot you and you changed shape. You know like the Time Lords were supposed to. What were you doing with that computer last night? I... I was trying to find out who had operated the transmat. I thought the switchover might throw up an anomaly. Did you really? Perhaps the companion, said the Doctor. No, Baris, not the companion. She's mine. What? What are you going to do with her? Sebastian clapped his hands. He looked up as if expecting something to happen. Ah, uh, keep forgetting. We'll do it the old-fashioned way. Shanks's pony. We walk. They returned to the chateau. Sebastian led the doctor at great pace through the marble halls. The butler followed daintily behind. Where are we going? asked the doctor. Oh, you'll love it. Sebastian marched to a pair of large doors. Two robots bowed and opened them. The doctor followed. The room was vast, even by the standards of the chateau. Dark, too. The only illumination came from tight shafts of artificial sunlight beamed down from the unseen ceiling. Inside each beam of light was a creature, perfectly still. The doctor understood the room's function. He was inside a trophy cabinet. Walk with me, said Sebastien. They passed a passive Raston warrior robot, which the doctor was certain was watching him from its smooth silver face. There was a weir in here and a collective of hive rasps there. There were omplets and podrupeds, hoard candelax and biomechanical nominate devourers. There were, well, there were too many for the doctor to be bothered to count. I fancy I possess the largest collection in the galaxy, said Sebastian after half an hour's walk.
I have every kind of predator here, from aords to zorg numerates. If it's dangerous, I've bagged it. Hmm. Heads on the club room wall. Sebastian seemed excited. I like lures best. When a target falls into a trap of its own making, when it can't help itself, you could say, I'm like a terran angler fish. Oh, the the ones that grow fishing lines out of their heads. The doctor sniffed. Not very pretty, though, are they? Your angler fish wouldn't have been my first choice of metaphor, but then again, why, Baris? Said Sebastian. Well done, you. You're developing his talent for the obnoxious. You're becoming more like the real doctor every day. Sebastian walked to a new exhibit. This specimen, I'm sure you'll find particularly interesting. Come on, he won't bite. With a gnawing feeling growing in the pit of his stomach, the doctor walked to the trophy. A human. The latest edition. The human held a cigar in one still hand, a glass of champagne in the other. Say hello to Lord Percy. The doctor decided to look appropriately scared. Sebastien, I, I thought he might amuse you, bit of fun, before we get down to work. What, what, what do you mean work? There was a chuckle from the dark. Butler Freddy, and if Butler Freddy was chuckling, this was going to be bad. More shafts of light flicked down from the impossibly distant roof. This time, the beam illuminated not a specimen, but a leather couch. If you please. Said Sebastian. What do you want from me? Asked the doctor. He wondered whether now would be a good time to run. Would Barris run? Would he act anything like this? It was so difficult to pull off a good impersonation on the strength of one brief meeting, and there was always that nagging feeling that Sebastian had seen through him all the time. This won't hurt a bit, said Sebastian. But the doctor did escape. Let's bung you through the scanner to be certain, eh? I I am Barris. You know I am. Sebastian, for once, looked sincere. What you should know about me, Barris, is that I am incapable of taking anything at face value. Butler Freddy pointed and laughed. He's scared. The doctor decided to give in. He had to see this deception through. Actually, I'm not scared. He snapped. Big hands. Butler Freddy stopped laughing. Get on the scanner. Fine. The doctor sauntered under the light beam to the couch. A smiling Sebastian watched him all the way. No worries," said the doctor. "I don't mind. In fact, I like to be scanned. Great. I think scanning's a really good idea. Let's confirm my identity. It would make me feel a lot better. Oh yes,、yeah, scan me. Fine. Everybody's going scanning. Scanning USA. Stop. Babbling and get on," snarled Butler Freddy. Something metal snaked out from the couch and wrapped itself around his arm. The doctor jerked back, but the metal strap held firm. "Intelligent handcuffs," said Sebastian. "My idea." Another strap spewed out from the couch and encircled the doctor's body. More followed. They lifted him from the ground and lowered him onto the couch. A bulky machine descended from the overhead darkness. As it approached, large stainless steel implements extended out from the main body. Electronic lights flickered. The doctor fancied he could even hear the sound of a dentist's drill. Sebastian, he moaned, 
It's just a little toy to see who's who, said Sebastian. DNA checker, psyche profiler, even a little gizmo that checks how many hearts. Oh, and when I said it wouldn't hurt, ooh, that was a little porky pie. The machine started to hum. Two hours later, the butler lifted the doctor out of the chair. The doctor's face was white, ashen even, but he was still conscious. He glared, but said nothing. Had to check. You understand, said Sebastien. No hard feelings? Trying to speak, the doctor realised his mouth had gone numb. He pushed the butler off and forced himself to stand. Sebastian blew at the nails on his right hand. He had been filing them throughout. Now, let's get back to the game. Boris, you stick to keeping an eye on the doctor. Don't let any robot stop you. You're the only one I'm sure of. Everything he does, you do. I want you to become the doctor. Donna had been at the exquisite traveller hotel just outside Bracknell for a day now. The weirdest thing was that although she often heard people talking in the corridor, when she opened her door there was never anyone there. Just a snaky, horrible carpet, closed doors and silence. The lobby was always deserted, except for Sadie, the smiling, perma-tanned receptionist who was always behind her desk. Donna was not warming to Sadie. Of course, Donna could have just walked out. But the doctor had left her that note. The note was simple and in the doctor's handwriting. It just said, wait for me. Last night had been dull. Even for Bracknell, the hotel was dull. Donna had gone down to the castle bar. Try our delicious cocktails. But it never opened. Not for delicious cocktails or anything else. It just stood in the dark, quiet and unmanned. Well, today Donna had had enough. Even Bracknell was better than this. Rain was sweeping across the hotel car park. The wind threw itself at her as she ran outside. The car park was full of cars. Every space was taken. There was still no one about. Hello, she yelled. Her voice fell flat in the rain. Hello. There had to be someone. She was shocked at how much she had been hoping. Just go, she made herself say. Just go into the shops. Won't be long. She waited for a reply. All right then, here I am, going to the shops. Donna started walking. The road was longer than she first thought. Must be the hill. She looked back to see the exquisite traveller sitting snugly in its place, looking like all the other exquisite travellers she'd ever seen. Except there was still no one about. She tried to remember how she got here. She couldn't. Simple as that. The traffic noise was louder now. She stopped. The road ended at a T-junction. Straight ahead, a line of trees blocked a long, ploughed, wet field. There was a right turn and a left turn, but nothing forward. No road signs, and strangely enough, the traffic sounds were now on either side. This can't be right, said Donna. Still, the rain dropped. The roads curved out of sight in both directions. There has to be a way out. You don't beat me, she growled. She turned right and marched. There was an exit, and come hell or high water, Donna was going to find it. Night had fallen again when Sadie the receptionist heard a noise outside. 
She walked out into the rain to find a soaked, wide-eyed Donna in the car park, screaming and begging for the doctor. She was on all fours and covered in mud like she'd fallen over in a field. Sadie put a coat around the girl and brought her back inside. The savannah was harsh country. Two suns baked the ground hard as diamond. Nothing lived in the savannah except suckweed and sore socks. The first, a giant cactus with buried spines that waited for its prey to walk over it. The second, a scaly crocodile that looked like a rock. The semblance loved the flux savannah. The semblance was very excited about the doctor. He was a very dangerous animal. The semblance knew to be wary. The semblance used his excavator limbs to dig a hole. He then sat in the hole, covered his carapace in dust and waited. When the doctor appeared in visual range as nothing but a ragged, exhausted human in a torn suit, the semblance was disappointed. Sebastian's big talk had unsettled the society. Even him. What's a letdown? The doctor stumbled towards the trap. The semblance armed his hurt limb. A thought command unhooded the sting. As the semblance giggled, the carapace wheels began to turn in the dust and stuck there. The doctor was closing. There wasn't much time. The semblance revved harder. Something crunched into the wheels. A suckweed. The semblance cursed. Of all the bad luck, he had been caught in the same trap he had set for the doctor. Something else landed with a thump on the windscreen bubble. Cold crystal eyes gazed in. Baked jaws opened to reveal a mass of stone teeth. A sore socks. A suckweed and a sore socks together? Unheard of. The semblance, sweaty in his pickling juices, activated the carapace charger. A blast of electricity shook the sore socks but did not dislodge the beast. Mineral drool dropped onto the windscreen from a wide, wide smile. At the edge of his perception, the semblance saw the doctor walk right past and through the gully. They were all so well camouflaged he hadn't noticed a thing. The next thought that came to the Acturium was that both the suckweed and the sawsocks were actually Sebastian's robots, but as soon as he remembered that, he had other things to worry about. Enlighten me, said Sebastian. The doctor tricked the robots, the supervisor replied. He activated their priority override command. The Suckweed and Sorsox robots received input identifying the Arcturong as a Class 1 threat. Class 1? Me? They thought the semblance was attacking me. They had to protect you. Couldn't help themselves. In fact, they couldn't do anything else. And just how could the doctor make this happen? The supervisor slumped. Assuming it isn't Baris. Which it isn't. He would just need to know the robot transmission codes. Now we're no longer using IMT. All he had to do was look them up on a database. Sebastian stood up, wiped his chin and overturned the banqueting table. He spent a satisfying few minutes hurling food around. The supervisor stood still as his master raged. At last, Sebastian was calm again. He looked at the supervisor. Find out. The supervisor turned and trotted from the room, grateful still to be functioning. The doctor, or rather Barris, who believed himself to be the doctor, shuffled under a fallen concrete slab and shivered. 
Any normal man would have been terrified of being dumped in the war-torn wreckage of an alien city in a punishing winter with no food, weaponry or means of survival. Luckily, thought Barris, he was the Doctor and he was no normal man. He was the Doctor and he had to find Donna. He pressed his fingers into the snowy frozen rubble. Sweat turned to ice on his forehead. Barris forced himself to take a deep breath. He had to work out who was sending him to these strange, deadly places, and why. Come on, Doctor, he said to himself. You're better than this. And overriding everything, he had to find Donna. The hulking butler entered the moonlit control room. Unfamiliar green and red function lights gleamed on the consoles. The butler didn't like the lights or the consoles. They made the place look messy. What do you want? He snapped at the supervisor, wired into a skull dock terminal. The supervisor pointed to a computer array. The butler plugged in. Digits and colours flashed past his eyes at vast speed. Do you know how many systems are online at any one time on planet one? Said the supervisor. An almost infinite number. Don't bore me with technical details, snapped the butler. What are you talking about? A manual operator trace? Who used which air screen when? The butler's mood was improving. Go on. I've back-checked every air screen operation on Planet One during the time period the Doctor transmitted out of the Erubian jungle zone. That command came from an air screen in this control room. And guess who activated that air screen? Oh, good day, said the butler. What does a bloke have to do to get some sleep round here? demanded the doctor. Butler Freddy scooped him out of bed and tucked him under an arm. The doctor smiled. You look happy. Mmm, said the butler. They reached the trophy room. Morning, Baris, said Sebastian. Morning, yelled the doctor. Excuse me for not shaking hands. I'm upside down. Not to worry, said Sebastian. My supervisor says he has some news. How lovely for him. Love a bit of news, me. The doctor was thrown onto the familiar leather couch. A spotlight flicked on into his face. Ooh, now I'm thinking interrogation. The doctor tried to sit up, but the flexible cables wrapped around him. Sebastian, he said. We've been here, done this. Sebastian sipped a small cup of coffee. Apparently not. My supervisor believes he has incontrovertible evidence that you are up to something naughty in the control room. Supervisor Freddy loomed into view. Its eyes were big and bulging. The robot no longer bothered to conceal its triumph. A holograph flickered into life. A series of very long numbers counting down. The results are in. The evidence cannot be challenged. After a long and painful series of calculations... The air screen registration is HGCCC C two nine three zero dash five eight nine zero point two seven six operated. It paused for effect. By Barris. The holograph froze, leaving the air screen number hanging in the air. The supervisor, as if exhausted by its efforts, dropped its head. The trophy room was silent. The supervisor glanced up, wondering how long before they could get round to harming the doctor.
The doctor coughed, the sound echoing round the vast, empty space. Sebastian asked, You said HG CCCC 2930-5890.276? Yes, my master. There can be no possible room for error. Well, that's not the number on the screen. Suddenly, the supervisor felt very, very sick. It could see what it had walked into. The number up there is HG CCCC 2930-5890.275. And according to your databanks, that particular airscreen was operated by you. I know how he did it, my master. He programmed a Trojan to reset the registration. Enough! Release Baris. The metal cable slid away, and the man the supervisor absolutely knew to be the doctor sat up. Supervisor, on the couch, said Sebastian. Sylvie, said the doctor. He almost looked sorry. Knowing he was doomed, the supervisor obeyed. The automatic restrainers wound round the robot. The implements extended out. The supervisor knew this machine and understood it was going to enjoy its work. I've always wanted to say this. Sebastian looked sternly at the supervisor. You know the price of failure. And he turned theatrically away. I love you, master, said the supervisor, and meant it. It really did. A sound like a dentist's drill started up. The interrogation machine went to work. Sebastian put his arm around the doctor. You have to expect this kind of thing until we find out what the doctor is really up to. Ooh, let's get away from this racket. Breakfast! There's a plan. Sebastian looked up from his plate. A brilliant plan, I'm certain. The answer is on the tip of my tongue. You mean the answer's staring you in the face? asked the doctor, staring Sebastian in the face. Sebastian pinged his spoon on the bowl. I shall be going away for a while. My butler will be keeping an eye on you. Fine. The doctor pushed his plate away, not hungry. The doctor is in the Beriograd zone. Commissar Weimark. Let's see and get out of this one. Snow began to fall as the weak sun rose over the ruined city. Barris was running for his life. Again. He slipped on hidden ice just as a decaying concrete post by his head burst into fragments. The hunter had found him. Barris whimpered. He had been in this godforsaken city for two days. Two days of sleeping in frozen shell holes with rats and rubble for company. All the water was frozen and he had no means to melt it. He was dying of thirst and knew that even with the Time Lord's metabolism, he would not last more than another day. Damn it! he yelled. Donna needs me! Breath held, waiting for the next shot. Barris forced himself to get up and run. He saw the glint of the hunter's rifle. His pursuer was hiding in the rubble, aiming at him from the top of the crater. He was the doctor, and he had to rescue Donna. Barris twitched. He jumped. Stones moved and his legs slipped out from beneath him. For a moment he was weightless, and then he was tumbling. The water was deep and unbelievably cold. Freezing mush forced its way down his throat and numbed him completely. 
Barris rolled over, clenched in a fist of ice. Cold pressed his head like a band of metal. He was the doctor, and he had to rescue Donna. A black cloud spread through his body. Suffocation. If he surfaced, he would drift up into the hunter's gun sight. He was finished whatever he did. The water moved beneath him. Barris opened his numbed eyes and saw a bright artificial light. The light was moving. Until he realised the light was staying still and he was being pulled down the plug hole, down the drain. Barely had Butler Freddy logged him on. Barely had the doctor pulled on his VR gloves and goggles when he realised the game was over. Barris was about to die. After all of his clever words to get rid of the supervisor, basically there was no way of rescuing Barris without being unmasked. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, said the doctor and touched a virtual command icon. A klaxon screamed out in alarm. Sabotage, yelled Butler Freddy. Get away from there. Me, the doctor replied and pressed another icon and another six icons. Butler Freddy literally threw him out of his chair. The gloves and goggles snapped off and flew across the room. Security robots, cruel-looking noblemen with pencil moustaches and white stockings, leapt on top of the doctor, pinning him to the marble floor. What have you done? screamed Butler Freddy. What? Little old me? said the doctor from under the pile of bodies. To be honest, I'm not sure I know myself. Butler Freddy checked the console. You uncloaked a supply monorail junction axis nodal. If, if you mean I opened a door to a hidden train station, you should just say so. I hate Technobabble. Butler Freddy beckoned to security Freddies. Lift him up, put him against the wall and kill him. The robots obeyed the first two instructions. They pulled dual-studded revolvers from ornate belts to expedite the third. The doctor raised a finger. Ah, ah. Now wait just a cotton-picking minute. You can't kill me, can you? Butler Freddy was positively smiling. Actually, yes, I can. Bye-bye. The security robot stepped forward. Uh, said the doctor. The security robots aimed their guns. Commissar Weimark stood up. The doctor had to be dead, except that water-filled crater was probably deep enough to stay concealed. If a man could hold his breath, if he could survive the cold, the doctor could still be alive. Therefore he was. For some reason, the water was churning and seemed to be draining away. He saw a blurred yellow light in the pool. Instinctively, Weimark raised his rifle and fired a high-explosive shell right at it. The blast was far more powerful than even he expected. Water, concrete, metal and stone erupted in a flash and boom of incredible power. He had hit something, something explosive. Before he could regain his balance, the commissar was buried beneath a cascade of rubble. There was a pause. Everyone was looking at the doctor, who started to laugh. <laughs> he roared. He's got you right where he wants you. He's playing you like insects on a string instrument. Butler Freddy was hooked. It didn't want to be, but it was hooked. What are you talking about? The doctor wiped his eyes. He looked positively demonic as he said. You poor, deluded fools. 
Have you never heard of the doctor trap? She had thought she would go mad. Three days she had been here. Donna had done some boring temp jobs in her life, but the hotel was a new definition of dull. She decided to search the opposite wing. She crossed the courtyard into the lobby and up the stairs. Hello, she called. Who's that? A voice responded. Me, she shouted, far too eager. She thought she was falling for another trick when the man walked out of a room and looked at her. He was, without a doubt, the most handsome man she had ever seen. Dare she think it? More handsome even than the doctor. Oh my! She couldn't help saying, "Who are you?" The man asked. Donna realised she was blushing. I'm, uh, Donna, Noble. Noble? That's my name. I, I think so. Anyway,、uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm guessing you're not one of the, well, whoever they are. No, I- I'm a prisoner too. She replied, assuming you are. I mean, yes, I'm a prisoner. You might say, the prisoner. Pleased to meet you. I'm Sebastian. Sergeant Lackey heard the blast. At first, he had taken it for another downed aircraft. When you'd been in Berigrad as long as he was programmed to believe, you got able to identify what had blown up by what type of explosion it made. When he looked. Lackey saw a hole at the bottom of the crater that looked like no other hole he had ever seen. The hole was large and perfectly square, and pouring out smoke. Lackey whistled, and his squad began a careful descent over the loose debris. Falling snow was covering their tracks as they closed in on the hole. They were just getting to it when the concrete shifted. Lackey waved at one of his soldiers to take a look. With understandable reluctance, the nominated private sneaked up to the rubble. She held her rifle out, bayonet first, and jabbed the concrete. The rubble erupted. A dusty white arm grabbed the private's rifle. Instinctively, she stepped back and pulled. Another arm appeared. This one holding a pistol. The pistol roared, and the robot soldier collapsed. A man emerged from the rubble. His face was gaunt, white, and expressionless. Lucky made a strangled sound in his throat. Realizing his squad was aiming rifles at the Eastern Mark's most senior political officer, where is the doctor? Asked Commissar Weimark. Who? Who? Weimark holstered his pistol, dusted himself down, and stared down at the ruined entrance. The doctor was allowed to escape. Sebastian cheated. Very well. Sergeant, bring your squad. We are going after him. So what you're saying," said Butler Freddy, "is that getting killed is all part of the doctor's plan." The doctor trap," said the doctor. "Exactly." For want of anywhere better, Butler Freddy had brought the doctor to the conference room with its mahogany table. The TARDIS stood in the shadows, as if placed there to taunt the Time Lord. Butler Freddy's moustache quivered. "I don't understand." Of course you don't. That's the whole point. And you're saying Lord Sebastian knows about this doctor trap? Duh, he's the one who told me about it. Why do you think he let me decloak the monorail station? Look, it spluttered, trying to find a loophole in the story. There's, it's 
Listen, robot. As soon as the doctor is killed, the trap is going to spring. Then we're all in trouble. Being caught and killed is exactly what the doctor wants. It's logic, you see. No. Ask Sebastian when he gets back. Butler Freddy nodded. I will. You can be sure of that. Where's he gone anyway? He asked. Just asking. I don't know. And even if I did, I wouldn't tell you. If the doctor is killed, he is dead," said the butler, slowly. "What sort of trap is that?" The doctor smiled yet again. "My friend, it isn't my place to call you stupid. You're 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 a robot. It isn't your fault. Explain it then. How can the doctor want to die? Haven't you worked it out yet? Whoever is out there." Isn't the doctor? The afternoon passed quickly in a blissful haze of tea and chat. Sebastian was charming and handsome, and his story was ever so tragic. I created this world. Well, I fashioned it anyway. Planet One, my home. Donna smiled. Yeah, I knew this couldn't be Bracknell. Please don't blame me for this place," said Sebastian. The planetary terraforming circuits have a telepathic quality. They use your emotional secretions to model an analog environment. Ah,、huh? Sebastian smiled. Oh, don't worry. I don't understand how it works either. <laughs> I I thought you said you you run Planet One. No, Planet One runs Planet One. I'm more like a an ideas man, a consultant. When I arrived. All the machinery was already in place. I just figured out how to use it, use it, but not understand it.、Mm, sounds like me and Microsoft Excel. Hmm. Don't worry," said Donna. "How did it go wrong? How come you lost it all?" Sebastian smiled. "Someone stole my identity and took it all off me." Who? I don't know. But now he also calls himself Sebastian, and he looks like me. Oh, the situation here is desperate. This impostor may well have fooled the doctor into thinking he's me. Planet One has become dangerous. Donna picked up a padded chair. We should fight our way out. The chair was heavy enough to do a good job. We can't, Sebastian replied. This hotel is a molecular-bonded microzone. There is no way out. There has to be a solution. Yes," said Sebastian. "Someone must rescue us." The water poured down the station steps and dumped Barris onto a simple underground platform. Luckily for him, a train had pulled in. The train was a long, featureless piece of metal, bronze and smooth like a section of pipe. Barris slammed into its side. The water spread in a thin gruel across the platform. He moaned, "What next?" The train trundled forward, picking up speed. If he stayed on the platform, he was a dead man. The train sped up. He closed his eyes and ran. He felt a force grip him, like gravity or magnetism, and he was swept up and pressed hard against the metal side. Then he was in darkness, travelling at a speed he knew should have been impossible to survive. The train hissed up and down through tunnel after tunnel, turning unbelievable angles. 
Finally there was light again and the train slowed. Gravity suddenly gripped his body. With a yell, he fell. A long time later, Barris looked up to see a long metal bench lying in an empty platform. Hardly able to walk, he crawled to the bench and fell asleep. Curse him! Weimark stared down the tunnel. This is treachery! Unfortunately, this realisation did not help him catch the Time Lord. He could hardly walk down the tunnel after his quarry, not with 500 km an hour trains coming up behind. Weimark heard a hiss. A new train was arriving, apparently driverless. He sidled up to the platform and stopped. The commissar nodded at the vehicle. We must follow the doctor. The doors do not open, said Sergeant Lackey. How do we get onto the train? Weimark raised his rifle and fired an armour-piercing round into the side. We use our initiative, he said. The doctor's disappeared into the monorail network, said the butler on the TV. He could be anywhere. I think this whole doctor trap is just a pack of lies. Sebastian sneered at the screen. You idiot! That's just what he wants you to think. Of course there's a doctor trap. A fiendishly clever trap. He's not the doctor for nothing. I don't trust Barris. I don't trust anyone. You think I want Barris running around the chateau? Look, if it makes you feel better, be assured Barris will not leave Planet One alive. The butler smiled. Yes, that makes me feel a lot better. Thank you, my master. Time lost its meaning in the monorail station. Any relief he'd had from escaping his hunters had long worn off. Barris needed food. The platform was essentially a slightly wider part of the tunnel with lights and somewhere to sit. No doors, no ladders. Barris was marooned. He heard a familiar whooshing sound and a train slid into the station. This train stopped. The metal segments wheezed and groaned as they cooled. Steam bled from its joints. A door towards the front fizzed with discharged static electricity and hissed open. The train sat panting, like a dog waiting for its master. Barry smelled cooked food. He ran for the open door. The doctor is loose, said Sebastian. He has escaped and is out and about somewhere on planet one. He's coming for us, said Donna. He has to have a plan. Sebastian looked at Donna with those heavily lidded eyes. Are we talking about the doctor trap? Because of that, because of what he said, Donna realised what was going on.
Are you all right, Donna? Asked Sebastian. You've got a funny colour. What do you know about the doctor trap? She asked. He was all smug relaxation and ease. Almost nothing. It might get us out of here, mightn't it? She smiled her dumbest smile. It might help. Donna looked around, cagey. Her voice dropped to a whisper. When I first met the doctor, I was going to get married. See, to this bloke I really like called Lance. We got on really well. Whenever I needed a shoulder to cry on, there was good old Lance. He seemed too good to be true. He told me he loved me. Yeah, and that we should get married. Only thing was, the doctor turned up and worked out all the time Lance had been playing this game with me, tricking me, using me. This oh, what's the word? Oh yeah, scumbag. Well, he was being manipulated by someone smarter than him, promising him all sorts of anything, and he fell for it, like an idiot. You know what I mean? You're right there, Sebastian. So ever since then, I've learned to become a little bit suspicious of pretty young boys who think Donna's a bit desperate and a bit thick, and they can do what they want with her. I'm not being rude, am I? Donna, what are you saying? Said Sebastian. Donna put her hands on her hips. I'm going to tell you exactly what the doctor trap is. You want to know? It's a warning for me to avoid you. He wanted you to ask me about the doctor traps, and when you said those specific words to me, I would know you were a scumbag too. Donna laughed. Oh, the doctor, he's brilliant. He is. She had him. All he could do was sit and stare. I'm right, she said. I am, aren't I? Sebastian smiled, and Donna realised he probably wasn't a very good loser. In fact, he was actually insane. You know I could kill you instantly. Oh, shut up! I'm sick of listening to you. He walked towards the exit. Enjoy the rest of your life, Donna. He said. I'll send someone for you, soon. Sebastien waved an idle hand goodbye and walked into the rain. The lights snapped on. Butler Freddy scooped him out of bed again. The doctor struggled in its grip. Oh come on," he said. "You cannot be serious." In the trophy room, the butler threw the doctor onto the couch. The intelligent harnesses snaked their way around his body. "There's, there's no need for this," the doctor insisted. Sebastian stood in a pool of light. He seemed only half aware of the doctor's presence. Butler Freddy giggled, pressed a button, and a giant LCD screen dropped into view. The screen revealed a small. Featureless hotel room. The curtains were drawn, and a body lay on the bed, immobile. Donna Noble, said Sebastian. The feisty, strong Ms. Donna Noble. I want the truth, Boris. I know you've been lying to me, and it stops here. Who are you, really? The doctor tried flimflam for old times' sake. I don't know what you mean. Sebastian raised a finger. Just to let you know, I've、uh, turned off the oxygen supply for Miss Noble's little domain. She is breathing the last of what remains. Already, she is unconscious. Planet One informs me that she will die of asphyxiation in somewhere between six and 
twelve minutes. Of course, brain damage will occur much sooner than that. The doctor struggled in his bonds. She's done nothing to you. Let her go. Oh, I know you covered her, Baris, or whoever you are. You've been trying to find her since you arrived. So if you want her, you're going to have to tell me who you really are. The doctor looked at the body on the bed. He looked at the black, endless trophy room with its motionless, illuminated treasures. He looked at Sebastien, who leaned casually against a dangling screen. And when he had looked everywhere, he knew he had no choice. You've won, he said. I'm the doctor. I'm the real doctor. Sebastien took a deep breath and started to speak. However, before any words could emerge, he snorted out a laugh. Share the joke," said the doctor. Sebastian held up a hand, indicating he would reply when he could. The doctor stared at him, stern and angry. Finally, Sebastian managed to control himself. Oh, I, I apologise. It's, it's just that um, that uh, I get it. <laughs> I understand the doctor trap. Brilliant, doctor! Bravo! What a clever fellow you are. The doctor strained against the metal bonds. Thank you, but、uh, Donna, safe, right? Oh well, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say safe," said Sebastian. He grabbed the doctor's face, inspecting it. Quite, quite remarkable. What a clever chap! Fiendishly clever. Can I kill him now? Asked Butler Freddy. Oh no," said Sebastian. We don't kill our friends, do we? Hey, Baris. It took a moment for the doctor to take in the words. Barris, the butler sagged. Uh, no, my master, this is the doctor. He told you. Let's think this through," said Sebastian. Release. He clicked his fingers, and the metal bonds relaxed and withdrew. Sir, stumbled Butler Freddy. You're wrong. Sebastian gritted his teeth. I run this planet, so do as I say. Or you can join your scheming little friend, the supervisor, on the scrap heap. Don't you understand, Baris? The doctor has hypnotized you into thinking you're him. He must have wrestled the hypno device from you and reversed its effect. He sent you here to help him get through the hunting zones. The doctor trap, brilliant. The doctor sighed. No, it's 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 the other way around. Don't you see? I am the real doctor. I am. Look, I've got the two hearts, the Time Lord DNA. Sebastian nodded indulgently. As does Baris. There is no physical way to tell you apart. I'm telling the truth. I know things only the real doctor would know. Sebastian thought this statement through. If the doctor has made you believe you're the doctor. Then your understanding of being the doctor is based on your own knowledge of the doctor's history. As none of us know as much about the doctor's history as you do, how are we to know whether what you know is what the doctor really knows, or just what you know about the doctor? He smiled. You see, Butler Freddy scratched his head. My master, can you say that again? No. The doctor tried another tack. Look, remember what you said the other day. Kill me, and I'll regenerate. Do it, Sebastian giggled. You might believe you'll regenerate, but you won't. 
What killing you will do is lose me a chance of catching the real thing. I am the doctor! Shouted the doctor. I swear on my. Now I'm interested. What will you swear on? I swear on my lives as the last Time Lord. He looked up at the big screen again and could see that Donna's breathing was. Well, it was gone. She was suffocating. This is my problem, said Sebastian. If you are the real doctor, then I don't need Donna Noble anymore. If you're Baris, I still need her, and for that reason, I'll save her life. Which is it? The doctor was stuck, completely stuck. Well, asked Sebastian. I must be Baris, said the doctor. Sebastian shouted. Oxygenate exclusion zone 15. The doctor sagged. Thank you, Sebastian. A fine night's work, said Sebastian. Shall we take tea? We can talk about what I want you to do next. The train seemed to know where it was going, which was lucky because Barris was busy. The false memory implant was growing stronger. This character, this other person, was rattling around inside his head. I am the doctor, Barris shouted, although he couldn't remember that at all. The other character was much stronger now. The sad one who lay in his room and electronically scanned the galaxy day after day after same old day. The pain had reversed. Now the headaches were coming when he forced himself to remember he was the doctor. This other personality was a relaxing place to be. Much easier to go with the flow. Let the train take the strain. No! Barry sat up. He punched himself in the forehead. You are the doctor! He willed this to be true. You are the doctor! He had to stay awake and sane. If he gave in, the doctor would be lost forever. Bored! Sebastian announced. My master? asked the butler. What about the real doctor? He's still loose in the monorail network. Sebastian sighed. <sighs> He fell back on his pillows. I will explain this once, just to avoid any more impertinent questions. If I were the doctor, I would have implanted instructions that if Baris located the girl, he was to drop everything and use all available means to contact him. The doctor did, after all, come to Planet One to find her. So, by doing exactly what the doctor wants, You're wrecking his plan. Exactly. We don't need to scour the planetary monorail network. He'll come to us, or rather, Boris. But won't they just escape? Without IMT, we can't keep track of them. Sebastian pointed to the screen. Look, use those big eyes of yours. What's that? The butler squinted. Um. It's a prison zone, numpty. Once in, no one gets out. The butler looked to the screen, then to Sebastian, then to the screen, and back to his beloved master. That's. that's brilliant, master. Of course. And even if that is the real doctor, it continued. Which it isn't. He's trapped there anyway. Sebastian leaned back into his remaining cushions. Honestly, I'm surrounded by dullards. At least Baris and Donna Noble were interesting. When they're dead, I'll have to build some just like them. He sat up. Now listen carefully. I want you to contact the rest of the hunters. 
I'm changing the game. Get them to the prison zone. Maybe one of them will even manage to get the doctor. And charge up my trusty atmosphere craft. The green one. We're going on the attack. The sliding door swished open and the doctor stepped into the lobby of the Bracknell Exquisite Traveller Hotel. Just behind a set of closed double doors, he heard a large group of diners eating. The doctor sniffed the air, then licked and held up a finger. Pheromone conditioning unit. Smell molecules swished through the air to give the impression that living people are around. Hmm, no party should be without one. He heard a thump from the floor above. Somebody hitting something hard with some sort of object. The doctor heard a woman laugh. Whew. Now, you can't fake her, said the doctor. Donna was using an umbrella to knock holes in doors. Every time she smashed one open, she put her face in the gap and shouted, Here's Donna! When the umbrella splintered into fragments, she held it aside and kicked until she broke the lock. Like all the others, room 212 was empty. There was the same well-made bed, the same little TV, the kettle on the shelf and the same bowl containing the same sachets. Donna was close to cracking up. Another door, she thought. Just keep breaking the doors. She marched out to see the doctor in the corridor. He was just standing on that horrible carpet waiting for her. Hello, Donna, he said, and smiled that smile that made everything better. He was the doctor. And he was here. No mistaking that tatty suit and trainers, his elfin face, those sharp eyes that didn't miss a thing. However, Donna had learned not to trust first instincts. Not here in this prison where nothing was what it seemed. Prove you're you. Her eyes were filling with water. Prove you're my doctor. He said he would send someone for me. I never thought it would be you. So maybe you're someone who looks like you. Who said? Sebastien? You want me to tell you about the doctor trap? The doctor looked surprised. How do you know about the doctor trap? You told me, remember? No. They stood and looked at each other. She wanted to believe him, she really did. But how could she trust anybody here? I've got an idea, she said. Oh, good. He looked genuinely relieved. You tell me how to get out of here. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I know about the doctor trap. You get me? I get you. Deal or no deal? Deal. Let's go downstairs. Donna watched him as he walked into the reception. Yeah, this one was a fake, all right. But maybe if she went along with the game, went along with him, he would actually get her out. Why not? She could happily tell this fake doctor what she knew about the doctor trap because she didn't know anything about the doctor trap. I've tried the road, she told the doctor. Don't think you can get me to fall for that one. When do you tell me about the doctor trap? Before or after we're out? Donna kept pushing him, through the doors and out into the rain. To be honest, she said, I don't care. I don't have a clue why I'm here or what's going on. The doctor turned. He stumbled on the wet gravel. Ah, now, I can help you there. You see, Sebastien is this despotic but rather lonely ruler of a planet where, through robotic technology, he has the power of a god because he's really, really bored of being all-powerful on a planet where there's no-one to boss around. He organised this little safari with me as a target. Oh, it's wet. 
Oh, you'll get used to the rain. And by the way, you're not convincing me. He found this bloke who knew lots and lots about me and did him up to make him look like me. Operated on him big time. Really went to town in the whole making him look like me business. Why would he want to do that? To convince you to come with him to Planet One. Donna remembered. Snowcap base and the creature. The doubts in her mind she hadn't paid attention to. That seems like a million years ago. Sebastian knew I would follow, especially as he had my TARDIS. My double had my DNA and a key from somewhere, which meant he could operate the TARDIS. The doctor paused. You see? Ah, oh, that really annoys me. That really gets my goat, that does. The doctor seemed to be leading her exactly the same route she had tried when she attempted her first escape. I told you, that road doesn't go anywhere. The doctor kept moving. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. It does. I'm telling you. No, he stopped. The non-existent traffic droned over the hill. Putting his hands on his hips, he turned to her. Look, do you trust me or not? Mm, no. Good. Then just do as I... What do you mean, no? Donna put her face to his. That road does not go anywhere. That's because it's not a road. Oh, well, what is it then? A train station. You are kidding me, she said. The doctor was looking at the ground. Should be here somewhere. Ah! He pressed a patch of ground and the grass slid aside. Underneath was a big red button. The doctor thumped the button. Donna stood back in disbelief as concealed hydraulics began to whine and a whole section of road slid apart to reveal a set of gleaming silver steps. The great thing about Planet One, he said, is that once you're in the know, you understand you're never more than a kilometre away from a robot workshop or a train station. Donna jumped and clapped her hands. How, oh, you beauty! Sebastien watched Barris and Donna descend the steps to the monorail platform. He really believes he's the Doctor. Ooh, I wonder what he'll do next. Is there a monorail on the way? An operator robot read the screen. Yes, Master. Scheduled maintenance components carriage MZ44I3. Sebastien looked at the screen. In the zone, the rain still fell. The trees rustled in the artificial wind. Switch to station cameras. Ooh, I can't wait to see what happens next. There came a whistling from the tunnel. Silent. The train slid into the platform, at which point it stopped dead. Donna found the sensation alarming. How many laws of physics just got broken there? Lots, came the doctor's reply. Two solid double doors stood in front of them. You know, Donna said, I'm beginning to believe you. The train doors opened. I'm going to say it, said the doctor, because I like saying it. <clears throat> All aboard! Donna wasn't laughing. She wasn't saying anything. She was just looking at the doctor who stood on the train. Donna, said the new doctor, I've come to rescue you. By her side, the real doctor just moaned. Oh, no. Shut down. Lock it down, Sebastian yelled at the operator. The robot obeyed, punching in a code. 
Prison zone secured, my master. Sebastian didn't move. He stared at the screen, at the two doctors looking at each other. Sebastian's left cheek twitched. His upper lip quivered. I was right, he whispered. I've done it. He grabbed the butler by the shoulders. I've sprung the doctor trap. Sebastian ran, fell to his knees and slid along the floor. Result! The butler smiled, slowly understanding. He got him. My master got the doctor. Out of nowhere, a stadium full of cheering and applause rang around the control room. The operator robots joined in. They clapped Sebastien. Except one. He was the robot monitoring the monorail network. Ah, uh, my master. The robot looked pained. Sebastien was busy on his knees, taking in the applause. Oh, what is it? There's... There's another train heading towards the prison zone. Suddenly, the lights in the control room turned red. The cheering and clapping was replaced by a voice droning. Emergency! Collision imminent! Emergency! Collision imminent! Eh? said Sebastien. Donna was looking from one to the other. Oh my God, she kept saying. Oh my God! They were exactly alike. They were both the Doctor. Not lookalikes, not impersonators, not stand-ins. They were both the real thing. Except, of course, one of them couldn't be. Donna, they both said at once. The Doctor from the train said, That man is an imposter. He's been surgically altered to look like me to lure you to Planet One and hunt me down. The Doctor she had been with, the one she'd found outside the hotel room, was deep in thought. Well, she asked, we need to sort this. What have you got to say for yourself? The hotel doctor seemed to be in physical pain. All right, he said. No choice. I'm the doctor, said Barris. And I'm Barris, said the doctor. They looked at each other. Donna looked at them. That feels right, she said. There's an emotional subconscious bond thing I have with a real doctor. Call it a woman's instinct, and I never trusted you. She pointed to the real doctor. You were always too good to be true. She pointed at Barris. I feel a connection with you. It just feels right. She eyeballed the real doctor. Got that? Fake? He sighed. Yes, Donna. I got that. Donna clapped her hands. Then let's get the hell out of here. The ground began to shake. What's going on? Sebastian stared at a red, pixelated dot racing through the computer model tunnel. This can't be... Terminate that train, yelled the butler. I can't, replied the operator robot. Sebastian grabbed the skull-docked robot's hand and snatched at the floating icons. No change. What have I missed? The butler thought. Perhaps the doctor prearranged the train to go rogue before you sent him to their girl. Impossible. And it wasn't a doctor I sent there, it was Boris. The train went offline from the network 46 hours ago, said the operator robot. It opened a large-scale virtual chart of the monorail system. Beriograd zone. That's, that's the other side of the planet. How could it go all that way and not be picked up? I cannot explain. Find out, he barked. Impact in ten seconds, said another robot. Move the first train, the, the doctor's train. Get it out of there. The operator robot looked up. I cannot, my master. You have ordered that zone to be locked down. 
Sebastian's face was utterly pale. Who's doing this? The doctor felt the platform floor. I'm sorry to break up your cuddles, chaps, but I think we're in for quite a sizable train crash any second now. Donna released the man she mistakenly presumed was her companion. She looked at him for guidance. Don't worry, Donna, Barris said. I'll get us out of here. The stairs! He pointed and pushed her towards the exit. Oh, great, said the real doctor, and followed as the whistle of the approaching train grew louder. The noise penetrated even above ground. The bland trees were shaking rain from their branches and leaves. Donna and Barris ran across the mud towards the hotel. We'll be safe in there, shouted Barris. The hotel? Donna yelled. What if it collapses? She heard a shout from behind. The other doctor. Don't go in the hotel, he was yelling. Just get on the ground. As if to set an example, that doctor dived onto the mud and covered his ears. Uh, Into the building, insisted Barris, although he did not actually sound that sure of himself. The grass in front of them rippled. Suddenly the fake cars in the fake car park jumped. The hotel lurched and a huge crack spread like forked lightning up from its base. An entire side of windows fell out. By now, the ground wasn't rippling, it was churning. Donna! came a hoarse, tiny voice in the distance. Just duck! She didn't know why she obeyed, she just did. She pounced on Barris and dumped him in the mud just as the ground burst open and they were both lifted on a raft of turf and shoved a couple of metres backwards. The noise of the underground explosion was indescribable. The air was shunted out of her body. Because the noise had deafened her, she had a pleasant few timeless moments of nothingness. That was good. That was soothing. But all too soon, the whistling in her ears and the mud in her eyes brought Donna back to horrible reality. Something was wrong. The ground appeared to be on top of her. She had been buried. She punched an arm up through the soil and felt cold rain on her fist. Not allowing herself to scream, she wriggled and wriggled until she got enough perches to push her other arm out. Then she spent ten panicked seconds tearing that mud away. At last, she levered her head up and felt the wind on her face. Spitting the gritty mud out, she wiped her eyes clear. The hotel had been destroyed. Apparently, a silver vacuum cleaner had come out of the ground and eaten it. No, not a vacuum cleaner, a hissing, steaming, metal tube train with a flattened front end. The machine lay broken-backed on top of a pyramid of cheap, bracknell breeze blocks. Donna was caked in filth. The whistling in her ears died down to be replaced by the crackling of flames from a fire somewhere under all that brickwork. The monorail was crushed, wrinkled with dents and full of holes like its hull had been attacked by a giant tin opener. The train had punched right through the lobby. Her old wing had been turned inside out. The wing next to it still stood but it was going to need one hell of a paint job if it was going to attract any more exquisite travellers. The walls were scarred and burned black, and all the glass in the windows was broken. Donna staggered to the ruined entrance. She spotted clues as to what once had stood there. Half a sofa, a potted tree, a battered sign, all sticking out of mounds of bricks. She turned back to the mound of mud that had buried her. A pair of plimsolls was sticking up in the air. Donna scooped away the soil. The doctor was pale but breathing. His eyes were firmly closed. Wake up! she yelled. Someone tapped her on the shoulder. Donna shrieked. We need to think seriously about vacating the premises, said the other doctor. 
In an orderly fashion would be best, but a madcap dash would do. Donna couldn't help it. She smiled. And which one are you? The real one, he replied. You would say that, though. I would. Sorry. I think that train was sent here. How do you know? Because it's probably Commissar Weimark's train, and it disappeared off Sebastian's rail network two days ago. He didn't notice, but I did. Wonder where it might have got to. A metal lid blew out the side of one of the compartments. He's after me, said the doctor. He looked at his double lying in the mud. Us. He won't mind taking us both to get the right one. We'd better bring him. Together they lifted the prone Barris. He gurgled and spat, but didn't manage full consciousness. Who is this guy? Asked Donna. And where are we going? Answers in reverse order, please. The doctor hefted his duplicate onto one of his shoulders. Blimey, I'm heavy. Grab the other arm. Doctor, first question last. We're heading into what's left of the hotel to hide. Our pursuer is a desperately humorless hunter called Commissar Weimark, who will enjoy taking his time over killing us. We've probably got five minutes to find a way out of this impregnable prison zone. Second question first. His name's Barris, and he's my number one fan. Excitement, tension, the thrill of the chase. These were a few of his favourite things. The atmosphere craft had not been in the air for over a year, but thanks to constant maintenance by the robots, Sebastian could not tell. Shaped like a boomerang, its tiny but powerful jets were almost silent as they compacted and ejected air at an incredible rate. The landscape below never failed to fascinate Sebastian. Communication and power masts were strung along the surface like lines of string. Bursts of white and blue lightning were gathered into unbelievably powerful electrical exchanges, channeling energy into almost infinite capacity generators below the planet's surface. Planet One used more power in a week than most solar systems did in a generation. The sight put his worries into perspective. What could the Doctor do against him, really? Sebastian had him, had him and Barris in an unbreakable prison zone. One train wasn't going to breach the molecular skein that held the area separate. The skein was a leech. That was its strength. You could throw any form of energy at the defences and they would absorb that energy to reinforce themselves. As for getting out, no, not possible. Only he could walk out of a Planet One exclusion zone. Some laws could not be broken. The Doctor, Barris and Donna were in there for good and he and the Hunters were on their way. From all corners of Planet One they came. The members of the Society for Endangered Dangerous Species were bored and fractious and had waited too long. They wanted blood and they were damn sure they were going to get it. In the Chateau control room, the butler observed the trains as they converged on their designated zone. The huge robot kept another eye on Sebastian's atmosphere craft, and across Planet One, millions of robots went about their business, always proceeding exactly according to plan. Weimark climbed out from his carriage and onto a pile of rubble. He did not note that the ruins on which he stood had once been a hotel. He would not have cared anyway. He whistled, and the rest of the squad climbed out from the wreckage. Something had broken in one male soldier's head. The skull kept dropping backwards between its shoulder blades. Internal gears whined in a wrong kind of way as the mechanical muscles hauled it back up on its neck again. The soldier staggered out of the hole in the carriage and stumbled on the bricks. 
Inevitably, it slipped and tumbled all the way down. Sorry, sir, it said from the grass. No problem, private, Weimark replied, and blew the robot apart with an explosive bullet. Lackey and the one remaining soldier looked on. Now then, the commissar continued, let's find the doctor and kill him. In the still-standing wing of the exquisite traveller, the doctor and Donna carted Barris up a set of fire stairs. So, we're safer up here, are we? asked Donna. Mm, not, not really, no, the doctor replied. Then why are we going? I like stairs. Barris groaned as they hauled him through the doors. Come on, mush, Donna snapped. This is hurting. The doctor hoisted Barris against the wall to take the weight. He looked around. Into a room. Donna knelt, catching her breath. You just, just, uh, you just need a few minutes to, uh, to work out a way to escape, yeah? The doctor thumped Barris against the door and barged it open. Oh, no, he said. This place has a molecular barrier. No way to get out, not even for me. So we're finished, then? That bloke's gonna kill us? Unless we get him first, of course. What with? Courtesy soap? The room was the same as all the others. The doctor dropped the moaning, mud-caked Barris onto the bland bed. Donna thumped the door shut and looked at Barris. We could, you know, hand him over, she said. Pretend he's you. What? Well, he did bring us here to be killed. Yes, I've been thinking about that. Something Sebastien said. What? Sebastien just could not accept that Barris and I might have swatched places. Well, it, it does seem a little far-fetched, said Donna. Oh, come on. Even his robot servants worked it out. But Sebastian insisted that out of all the possible explanations, me being Barris was actually impossible. I wonder why he thought that. Highly unlikely, I grant you, but given my genius, my ability to triumph... Yeah, yeah, she interrupted. <laughs> You're you, all right. There came a loud crump from downstairs. Concussion grenade, said the doctor. They're in the building. Donna felt sick. And you haven't yet thought of an escape plan. Nope, not a chance. Better keep telling me the story then. The doctor nodded. I felt insulted and mystified. Why would it be so impossible for me to get the better of Barris back at Snowcap? Especially as the boy spent so much time gloating. He broke off and looked at Barris. <gasps> of course! What? What is it? Donna asked. The doctor crawled onto the bed and looked at Barris. You brave little idiot. More explosions from below. This commissar wasn't taking any chances. I don't get it, said Donna. My number one fan, whispered the doctor. The clues in the title. Barris didn't want me captured or killed. He didn't want to be me. Maybe he wanted to try out being me, see what it was like for a while, but you, you don't kill your heroes. Oh, yes, Barris was tempted. He went through the surgical procedures, the DNA transfusion, but that would have been enough for him. The idea that he was going to be used to hunt me down was too much. Donna was catching on. He couldn't do a runner. Not on Planet One. Sebastian would have been watching him all the time. So he fought up a way to swap places to give you a chance, the doctor nodded. He looked at Barris with admiration. He knows me better than anyone. He knew that if you gloat at me, I'll punish you for it. Barris's eyes were flickering in their sockets. His mouth uttered a disturbingly doctorous groan. 
That's a real risk, said Donna. Huge, said the doctor. And that's what Sebastien couldn't understand. What he wouldn't accept. Sebastien is a paranoid sociopath. For him, killing your heroes would be everything. Anything less would seem insane. Oh, Barris, why would you do that for me? Barris looked up at him. You want to try living in apartment 4589 forward slash DYY, block N, in Proxima City's second district for 20 years. Nothing changing, nothing happening. And then I get offered the chance to be the doctor. Wow. Barris gave the doctor a bleary smile. I knew you'd get me out of those zones. Well, I didn't have a lot of time to hypnotise you properly. That bleepy stick thing you had was good, but it didn't come with any instructions. All I could do was give you the Find Donna command. Program it to loop in if your real personality started to come through and send you on your way. I didn't do half of the rescuing. You made it easy for me. I understand now why I got away with messing about with the computer so much. You're a real forward thinker, Barris. Give yourself a pat on the back. What do you mean? asked Barris. Oh, yes. Can I have your autograph? Later. I mean those twiddles and override watsits you put into the computer system to help me work it so easily. Thought my number was up when the big supervisor tracked me down. Barris clutched his shoulder. It wasn't me. I don't know how to operate the Planet One computer system. Sebastien wouldn't let me near it. Why would he? The doctor gulped. There's someone else, he said. The building consisted of identical living units. His prey was hiding inside. There was nowhere else for them to go. The robot squad reached the ruined door. Weimart read a battered gold sign. Exquisite traveller. He nodded. The doctor. He and Lackey searched the rooms on the ground floor. They grenaded and flamed wherever they went. Once satisfied no one was downstairs, Weimark and Lackey took a staircase each. The other soldier remained on the ground floor to catch any runners. Two stairwells led up to a single corridor. Closed doors lined that corridor. His prey was behind one of those doors. Lackey whistled from the far stairwell. The sergeant held out a hand to indicate his presence. Weimark whistled back. Together, they moved onto the carpet and kicked in their first doors. Wood splintered under heavy blows. Somewhere down a corridor, a gun blasted. Donna looked at the doctor. So, escape plan? The doctor was fiddling with the air conditioning controls. Can't you think of something? I'm busy. Is it me, or is it getting cold in here? He'll find a way, said the duplicate. He always does. Another crump from a grenade. Ooh, they're getting closer, Donna sang. She looked around, but the room was the same. Bathroom door closed, window broken, telly off, nothing else. She shivered. Doctor! Barris was smiling. He's thinking. He's doing his thinking face. Can you put your glasses on? What, 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 what do you call them? Your clever glasses. Can you do that? Brainy specks and shut up! Donna felt only mildly hysterical. A thump. Much closer. Ooh, they're right on us, said Barris. I wonder what he's going to come up with. A draught of freezing air shot from under the bathroom door. The doctor snapped his fingers. I've got it! He stopped to listen. Is there a fly in here? Donna held her breath and her patience. I can't hear anything. That's no fly. That's robotic. 
Barris climbed off the bed. He looked at the doctor, who looked at him. They both grimaced. Donna lost it. She put her hands on her hips, leaned her head back and yelled, Oi! What is going on? The doctor's mouths opened in toothy surprise. Shh! They hissed. Barris blinked. I know what to do, he said. For the first time in my life, I know what to do. He dashed to the door and pulled it open. Make sure you get away. Barris, no! The doctor ran forward, only for Donna to jump on him. Together they bowled into the wall. Go on, she yelled. Get going! Barris gave Donna a frightened wink. I'm a hero, he said. Maybe they'll look me up on the neural net. Me. Barris. He darted into the corridor and slammed the door shut. Barris! The doctor shouted. He shoved Donna aside. They heard Barris yell. Come and get me! Come get me, you scum! There was an explosion, gunfire, and then quiet. He was gone. The doctor wriggled. Donna pinned him down on the bed. Leave him! He glared at Donna. Why? She grabbed his hand to keep him still. He wanted to do what you would do. He wanted to be you. He stared at her, accusing. Don't, she said. I feel rotten enough. Door, said the doctor, and looked at the bathroom door. What? The doctor freed his hand and stood up. It's time to go. He opened the bathroom door and Donna gasped. They had him cold. In the split second before being shot dead, a small part of his brain bathed in his bravery. Here on Planet One, Barris had just made a difference. The Doctor and Donna were safe because of him. He was their Doctor. Ahead, a soldier stepped out from a room. His face was impassive as he blocked any escape. The fly that wasn't a fly buzzed in Barris's ear. The soldier raised his rifle and aimed. Barris didn't care. You wouldn't be the first, he said. Go on, then. The fly noise whipped by his ear to the man holding the rifle. As Barris waited for death, the soldier flinched and his robotic head blew up. Sparks and metal and fluid flew in all directions in a halo of energy. The sergeant dropped his rifle, staggered and tumbled. Barris looked as surprised as anyone. He turned, saw Weimark and ran. Weimark raised his weapon. He heard an insect's buzz and saw a tiny ripple in the air heading straight at him. He threw himself to one side, still managing a snapshot at the man he believed to be the retreating doctor. The bullet blew a chunk out of the wall, but that was the extent of its damage. The doctor disappeared round a corner and down the stairs. The buzz grew louder again, some kind of miniature missile. Tiny, but devastating if it went off in the right place, say a neck or a head. Someone had some interesting toys. Weimart rolled and listened for the buzz. He concentrated on its sound and, as it swooped, he pulled his pistol and fired. The air in front of the commissar burst into flames, its expanding fire washing over him. Weimart blinked at the pain and slapped his burning face. Damn you! he yelled. He rubbed his eyes. Water poured from the dark sockets. His skull felt singed raw. Weimart blinked the tears away. Ignoring the pain, he picked himself up. Commissar Weimart was going to get that doctor, if it was the last thing he ever did. Giddy with excitement, laughing like a loon, Barris bounced down the stairs. A second soldier appeared at the foot of the stairs, yet another gun was pointed at him. Super confident now, Barris jumped out of the first floor window. 
He dropped headfirst towards a mound of bricks. They looked very hard, and although some distance below, approached very quickly. Energy hummed around him, and as he should have hit the bricks, he bounced as if he had landed on an invisible trampoline. Barry's cartwheel down the brick slope cocooned in a flickering blue light. He was caught in an energy bubble. There you are, old chap," said a voice Barris had not heard in a long time. Sebastien. The energy bubble rolled down the rubble slope to stop at Sebastien's feet. "You've proved quite a talent," said Sebastien. "Jolly good for you." Barris collected his thoughts. "Wrong one," he said. "I'm Barris." A flicker of irritation crossed Sebastien's perfect face. Oh, nice try," he said. "But we're done. Did you like my midge missiles?" Barry smiled. "You don't know anything. Something has happened. There's another player. We're all being manipulated, especially you." Sebastian tapped his bracelet. "Prepare to open the zoo," he commanded. "I'm in charge here, Baris." I've always been in charge here, and don't you forget it. Sebastian's chest erupted, and the ruler of Planet One was hurled into the mud, hat flying off. He clutched the ground, fingers digging into the earth in shock. Oh, now that's damned inconvenient. Sebastian sighed and stopped moving. The bubble around Barris fizzed, and he rolled over. Upside down, he saw the hotel and the white blob of a face leaning out from a window. Commissar Weimark ejected the spent cartridge from his rifle and punched the air. The first emotion Barris had ever seen in his pursuer. "I win!" screamed the commissar. "I win!" Barris then heard a cluster of buzzing sounds, saw Commissar Weimark flap at his face, and the whole building exploded. "How could you know?" Donner demanded. "No one could possibly know." "What do you mean?" Know what? Come on, you planned the whole escape all along. I didn't plan anything. The doctor stopped and wiped frozen moisture from his face. It wasn't that hard to figure out. What? That you open a door in a Bracknell hotel bathroom and boom, there's the Antarctic, drifts, glaciers, crevasses. Do I look stupid? They were trudging through snow again. The doctor was determined. He was on a mission. Donna grabbed him. Look, this is Antarctic, right? Where we first appeared. Well, there's a base around here with a big scary monster in it, right? It's it's Earth, yeah. The doctor took a deep breath. There's a base with a big scary monster somewhere. But this is not the Earth. It never was. Explanation, she demanded, in English, right now, and don't give me that. There's not a moment to lose. If this ain't the Earth, where are we? Planet One, he said. He pointed. Ah, there's a chimney. By now, Donna's teeth were chattering so hard she could hardly speak. What? 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 What's? What's Planet One? Sebastian's planet. You said we were on Earth. I distinctly heard you say it in the TARDIS. The doctor looked hurt. He fooled me. I don't know how, but he fooled me. I don't like that. We need to get inside. Donna grabbed his wet arm. 
There's a monster in that base. He smiled. Yes, but I contained it in a sonic stasis field. Ah, there's the hatch. Come on. The doctor let Donna climb down the snow-capped base ladder first, which was unlucky for her as her feet triggered an engine net on the steps. A sticky metal web enveloped her. Struggling, she fell and hit the ruined tiles on the floor with a crunch. The doctor looked down into the gloomy base. Hands yanked Donna out of view. They intended to use her as a hostage. Sebastian had summoned the hunters here to wrap the game up. Well, that was just fine. The doctor stood in the cold light, snow swirling around him. All right, he said. No more running. Nothing. No movement or sound of any kind. He felt as if Planet One itself was holding its breath. One warning, the doctor shouted. Leave now or never leave. He climbed slowly, each tread deliberate and solid. The metal ladder rang with his footsteps. His plimsoll splashed onto the puddled floor. Snowcap base was dark. The emergency strip lights smashed either by Sebastien's monster or a hunter seeking cover. They were hiding in the shadows. He could sense them. They were watching and waiting. Never leave them, he told the dark. The Society for Endangered Dangerous Species. <laughs> You're the endangered species now. I've destroyed worlds, civilizations, my own people. So run, run and hide because now I'm hunting you. Fear me. I'm the doctor and I'm coming for you. All of you. The Society for Endangered Dangerous Species fled in terror. Two hunters collided in a scramble for an exit and shoved blades into each other before they had time to think. Three more ran straight down into the lower levels where Sebastian's pet thing eagerly received them. Only one hunter kept a cool head. This final hunter was either arrogant or stupid enough to believe it could still win the game. The trick was to keep waiting. Wait until exactly the right time. The doctor walked the tunnels of this fake snow-capped base. He never faltered and never turned aside. He walked until he found Donna. Doctor, she asked, crumpled up in the energy net and shoved into a crack in the floorboards. His face was in shadow as he leaned towards her. You look different, she said, suddenly afraid. Only when he appeared in the light, he was all smiles. Donna, Donna Noble. I'm really glad to know you. He cut the net apart with a sonic screwdriver and helped her to her feet. What did you do? She asked. The doctor shrugged. The society disbanded. She hugged him, although she wasn't quite sure why. So, what do we do now? She asked. Sit around a campfire and be there for each other? The night passed slowly. At least Donna guessed it was night. She couldn't really tell. Night just seemed to suit the way time went in Snowcat Base. And it went slowly. Doctor? She asked. What is the Doctor Trap? There's no such thing, is there? You made it up, right? Of course there's a Doctor Trap. What is it, then? The Doctor Trap is what you think they know, and you don't. It's being sure the other person is getting one over on you. So it's what they know and you don't. 
No. It's what you think they know. It's what you think they've got over you. The doctor trap. I'm rather proud of having coined the phrase now I come to think of it. How about that door in the hotel? She asked. Come on. And who is this other person you mentioned? You know, the one who you think is really controlling everything. I didn't say it was a person. Come on, Sebastien. Bored. You're enjoying this, she said, realising it was true. There came a metallic clang. Donna shrieked. About time, said the doctor. Let's go to work. Sebastian was smiling. Donna had to admit he looked mighty fine. So here we are, he said. Hello again, Donna Noble. Get lost. Brought someone. He stood aside and the doctor walked in, looking sheepish and forlorn. No, she had to remember. Barris. He looked frightened. Very frightened. Sebastian was inspecting the damaged room. Ouch! Someone really went to town, didn't they? Got to hand it to you, sir. You really are the bee's knees. The entire society for endangered, dangerous species. I, I hoped you would best them, but I didn't really believe it. Sebastien raised his pistol. All right, he said. Let's skip the pleasantries. The trophy room beckons. Barris took a step forward. Doctor, Vimark shot him. I saw him die. Sebastian fired at Barris, who glowed red, screamed in pain, then disappeared. Donna let out a roar of anger and charged at Sebastian. Amused, he kicked her in the right knee. She dropped like a stone. Oh, there's a good girl, said Sebastian. She tried to move, but the doctor glared at her. She got the message. Stay down. How do you know you got the right doctor? asked the doctor. You might have killed the real one. He's not dead. This gun gives me limited transmat capacity. I've just popped him off for a while. So even if he is the real you, I'll have you both. I win whatever. So you were killed? The doctor spoke as if Barris had confirmed a suspicion. How do you get over that then? Reincarnation? Sebastian looked bored. Oh, I rule planet one. I have lots of nice nanotechnology inside that augments my body. Don't ask me to try to explain it. It's far too boring. You think the planet would let me die? Look, look, I'd love to stand around and chat, but I'm dying to get you on display. Move. The doctor stayed still. Why do you think Commissar Vimark shot you when he thought I was standing right next to you? Sebastian shook his head. Oh, a little less conversation, a little more action. He held up the gun again and pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. Sebastian tried again. The gun still failed to fire. The doctor put his hands behind his back. You've already lost everything, and you still don't know it. Let me tell you why the commissar hit you and not me. Well, Barris, really, but as good as. Oh, please, said Sebastian. Enlighten me. Let me learn from you. You were his target. Sebastian threw the gun aside. All right, we'll do this the traditional way. From his coat. Sebastian produced a smaller, deadlier-looking pistol. You know what? I'm going to do something I should have done ages ago. Right or wrong, Doctor? I'm just going to kill you because I'm sick of hearing your voice. I wouldn't," said the Doctor. "Because I think you're going to need my help," 
Sebastian laughed. Oh, 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 yes, of course I will. I mean, I, I just run the planet, and who, who are you? The doctor sniffed. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm no one. Except I don't think you run the planet anymore. Comms terminal, yelled Sebastian. Now! The table in the centre of the room split and fell as the ground lifted. Ah! Donna bawled, falling into a pile of wrecked and sharp lab equipment. Oh, 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 why is it always me? Lights flickered and a hologram shuddered into life. The butler's head appeared in transparent colour. My master? Immediate restructure in the snowcap zone. Get an atmosphere craft here. I want to come home. It's cold and I'm fed up. The butler smiled, a really cheery smile. I don't think I want to do what you tell me today, Sebastian. Malfunction. Had to be. It had happened before. The technology was brilliant, but not perfect. What? Sebastian asked. How dare you? Get lost. The butler replied, "Or better still, stay there. I'll send someone to warm you up." The holograph went dead. "Oh dear," said Donna. Sebastian fired a bullet into the machine. "What's going on here? Am I master or aren't I?" "Well, not any more, it seems," said the doctor. "And the answer to the question of how a door in a hotel can open onto an Antarctic snow scene is that it's a transmat portal, and Planet One." Put it there for me," he looked almost sorry. "Oh, you see, I don't think you rule very much anymore. Come in, Sebastian. Your time is up." Donna gasped. <gasps> "I get it. The Doctor Trap. <gasps> the planet wants you to take over." "Yes," said the Doctor. "I think it does. I think your planet's bored of you." "I am Planet One." Snarled Sebastian. Planet One is me," he muttered to himself. "You're mine. You you don't tire of me. Oh oh no, Sebastian. He can't hear us," said Donna. "He's gone." The robot army had found and captured the fugitives. The Doctor had to become the planet. The Butler's programming was far too limited to comprehend what that meant or how it could be achieved. But it knew this was vital. The prisoners were downcast, not talking, eyes rooted on the floor. Only the doctor showed signs of life, looking around without emotion. A command sparked inside the butler's brain. Planet One was informing the robot that IMT was back online. We have molecular technology again. <sighs> the robot sighed. What a relief. The butler snapped his fingers, and a security field materialised around the three prisoners. They looked about in surprise. Raising an air screen, the butler organised immediate transmat to the control room. Donna Noble is a useful tool," said the butler. "She ensures compliance. I'm sure I'm not the first to say it." Donna and Sebastian were secure enough. They dangled in fizzing energy bonds next to Barris. The doctor was standing in molecular restraints. Planet One needed him mobile. All around the control room, operator robots were busy with air screens. The butler waved a giant hand, and the control room floor opened up. 
a vast hum rang out from the fathomless depths. Far below, unearthly purple light, pure, living, breathing energy danced and swam across chasms of unimaginably advanced technology. Snake-like cables the size of tower blocks erupted upwards. They writhed in and out of each other, eager to get their hands on the last of the Time Lords. The heart of Planet One, said the butler. Ready for you, Doctor. You and Planet One, together, <laughs> forever. The robot chuckled. At last, no more errors, no more decadence, just purpose. The giant cables writhed in anticipation like restless fingers. Sebastian wriggled in his bubble. Traitor, he said. The doctor looked sad. All that energy, all those resources, and you don't know what to do with yourselves. The butler pulled up an air screen. Excuse me, he said. Before you start trying to talk me out of this, I need to perform a bio check. So we know you are who you say you are. You remember? Molecular scanning lights flashed up and down the doctor's floating body. Operator robots read information. Jolly good, the butler said. Now, this will only take a few seconds and then we'll have you. The giant cables reared and pounced. An alarm sounded. The cables retreated. Operator robots looked up in horror. I'm not the doctor, said the doctor. I'm a robot bomb and you've just armed me. He jumped into the chasm. The butler looked up to see another doctor and Sebastian attaching a device to Barris's floating body. All three disappeared. There came a great mechanical roar of pain and anger and fear from the depths of Planet One. The Sebastian and Donna robot smiled. Sebastian gave the butler a little wave and went off. The doctor, Sebastian and Barris shimmered and dropped onto the snow. The air shimmered again and Donna appeared, along with a familiar blue box. Donna gave the doctor a thumbs up. Intelligent, molecular, technology, said the doctor brightly. What a marvellous concept. With the amount of explosive in those robots, we've obliterated half the northern hemisphere, said Sebastian. Does that mean Planet One is dead? asked Donna. The doctor inspected the TARDIS. Oh, I doubt that. We gave it a little sting, a headache. Enough of a distraction to get away. He looked at a small opening in the frozen ground. Down below, large blocks of grey machinery throbbed and clunked. Pipes hissed with releasing steam as the robot-shaping devices cooled. Automatic cables detached and went dormant. What the hell just happened? asked Barris. We went underground and built some robots, said the Doctor, disguised them as us and gave them up to Planet One to blow up the chateau. We gambled that Planet One would rush to get the IMT back up and running. Once it did that, we were able to transmit in and rescue you and the TARDIS. Sebastian sneered. If Planet One had trusted me more, we would never have succeeded. They stood in the snow and looked at each other. The Doctor, Donna, Sebastian, Barris. The blizzard artificially generated though it may have been, howled around them. The distant sun was setting. Well, said Donna, nice meeting you. You know I'm coming with you, said Sebastian. No, the doctor replied. Barris, 
but not you. You, you can't just leave him, said Barris. Once Planet One is recovered, it's going to come hunting. Good, said Donna. Sebastian smiled at the doctor. You misunderstand. He opened his coat and produced a short, gleaming sword. I rustled it up in the lab while you were fussing over the robots. Thought it might come in handy. And yes, I am an expert. Move! Something was breathing on Donna's neck. Something that smelled like overripe fruit. Dusty cloth tickled her hair. She saw Barris react in shock at whatever was crawling down the TARDIS behind her. Doctor, he said. Doctor! They looked at Donna and gasped. She felt talons clasp her shoulder and the sticky breath wafted over her cheek. The Carpalian witch, said Sebastien. A vibrant smile returning to his face. Oh, very good. The Carpalian witch drew in a breath, bellowed an insect screech, then pounced. Specifically, at Sebastien. He whooped for joy and brandished his newly forged sword. Sebastien slashed at the Carpalian witch who howled and fell. A thick, furry limb lay thrashing in the snow. It's not dead, Barris yelled as the witch leapt up again, claws extended, mandible spitting. It launched itself at Sebastien. He took a step backwards and fell through the hole into the robotics workshop. The Carpalian witch squatted, then sprang down after him. Run, Sebastien, the doctor yelled. Run! He made to follow, but with a surprising, newfound strength, Barris shoved the doctor onto a bed of snow. I'm the doctor today, Mush, said Barris. He looked down at the hole and yelled. The doctor to the rescue! And he jumped. The TARDIS was lovely and warm. Really, really lovely and warm. Donna was never going to leave it again. Not until she knew for absolutely definite that the sunshine level outside was nothing less than Tenerife. The doctor was brooding over the console. He wasn't his usual self. Sebastien, she asked. The doctor shrugged. You liked him, didn't you? A little bit. Teensy teensy. Oh, he'd be all right. Deep down, he's a resourceful bloke. Probably end up running Planet One again. Especially with Barris looking after him. The doctor began to play with the TARDIS controls. Oh, too complicated, he announced. I'm done with complicated. I want explosions and spectacle and chases. He looked up at her, smoothed his wild hair back and gave her his widest grin. Let's do something simple. Warm, said Donna. That's all I want. Warm. All right. Warm. And with a laugh, he yanked the lever. Doctor Who The Doctor Trap was written by Simon Messingham and read by Russell Tovey. It was produced by Kate Thomas and is published by BBC Audiobooks.